Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? This particular aircraft doesn't exist. It really isn't here at all. Are you mad? Are you trying to tell us this is an illusion? It's no illusion. It's here. I can feel it. It's here. I'm going to prove to you that you're wrong. Or I'm going to prove to you that I'm wrong. And if I happen to be wrong, I also happen to be dead. Robbins, will you roll the plane outside and start the engines? We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, we just got done talking about two with three, and now we're talking about two with two. So episode two. I don't know. I'm done with numbers. Yep. That that was way too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So strong start to this uh, this season. Thanks again for uh, El Goro from the Talk Without Rhythm podcast for coming on and joining us on another Bronson-filled episode. Um, that was a blast. Yeah, I can promise that there's going to be no Charles Bronson in this episode. There might be, you know, Bronson adjacent talk because I feel like now that we've wandered into the into that world, we're never going to leave. But there, there's <laughs> no Bronson in this actual episode. Well, you let me know when you've seen Ten to Midnight, and then we'll have another <laughs> little mini discussion at the end of one of these episodes because <laughs> that thing is ridiculous. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, I, I enjoyed our, our um, Bronson asides. And, but now we're going to get into uh, Season 3, Episode 2, The Arrival. Uh, air date, September 22nd, 1961. Number one film, The Parent Trap. Uh, number one song is Take Good Care of My Baby by Bobby V. Um, so let's see here. What I have for news. Uh, the, uh, the ICC ruled that effective November 1st, all interstate buses in the United States were required to display signs that provided seating abroad, abroad, aboard this vehicle is without regard to race, color, creed, or national origin by order of the Interstate Commerce Commission. Um, so basically, like this, we're we've we've mentioned a lot of uh, like how there was this constant social shift in regards to race relations at this time. But um, there was the big thing with the freedom riders where like there was the rights to be on the bus and like telling you where people can and can't sit. And now it's like, it's becoming like things are changing quickly. And uh, I thought that was worth mentioning because I mean, as much as we talk about the twilight zone, it does talk about social issues. There was a lot of things going on while the show was in, you know, in process. Yeah. A ton. Yeah. Um, it's always interesting here too, because uh 
you know, we're we're going through a lot of changes right now too. So it's it's always nice to bring up some of those things from the past. <laughs> so it, it's um, something not so great to bring up from the past. Uh, the, Scott Bale was born on night uh, <laughs> September twenty second, eight sixty one, which I. The, uh, you could say the arrival of Scott Bayo. <laughs> <laughs> and one day he would be in charge, you know. But um, as as um, controversial as his existence has been later in life, I will always still like him as Bob Loblaw on Arrested Development. I can't, oh, I can't not. Oh, the best. Yeah. So. Bob Loblaw's Law Blog. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can't believe I got that in one take. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. Uh, this episode was directed by Twilight Zone alumni Boris Sagal, uh, who also directed The Silence, which we both reviewed pretty favorably, if I remember. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved it a lot. I can't quite remember how you felt about it, but I think I remember you liking it. You you liked it more than myself, but we also found out the, the horrible tragedy that was his oh, later yeah. life of him making the wrong turn into a helicopter prop. I just mentioned that not because it's horrific and I don't want to revisit it. Um, there's a sequence in this episode, knowing who's directing it just made me cringe so hard while watching it happen. Yeah. I, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> uh, this episode is the best then. Um, yeah, no, that's terrible. That's that's we'll talk about that scene. It's very stressful, but it is with that added bit of knowledge it makes it even more stressful with hindsight of the future if that even makes sense yeah it's very uncomfortable yeah man you were breaking my brain twice tonight already with the numbers at the beginning of this numbers (laughs) hindsight of the future i I said i I said the numbers two and the number three i'm I'm so sorry that broke brains but i I tried but yeah we'll get to that that sequence uh later uh that's a future tease but like knowing what i knew watching the episode i I was just squirming you know (laughs) i just felt so bad yeah uh so this episode was written by rod serling and uh i'm sure there was help from his brother on this uh on this teleplay because there's a lot of plain stuff again Um, maybe there there was no there was nothing in the reading that showed that his brother helped out with this um so who knows (laughs) like but i do have some interesting uh trivia about the type of plane in the episode we'll get to that that's i'm also going to tease it later so there's some fun to be had involving planes yeah uh though maybe he wasn't involved because in the beginning narration he says they're made of fiberglass and whatever and a thousand components little components (laughs) he doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty of it no um but maybe his brother helped him get in contact with this plane because it's it's pretty cool looking plane it is um so the cast, we have Harold J. Stone as Grant Sheckley, who uh, plays, I, I, I don't know what his actual title is in this, like well, his he's job like, description. He's an investigator of um, plane crashes or plane disappearances. So like, but, like, you know, like there is whatever they call it in the episode and, it's, and forgive me, they, they, like whatever the, um, the FAA is now. Like he was, because they called it something different at that time. Uh, oh, okay. he, he was in yeah, charge of, you know, of like if there was, uh, you know, an accident or a crash or a disappearance, they they would bring investigators in to figure out what happened, and that's what he was. Yeah, that's who Grant Sheckley is. Yes. Uh, so this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. He did a ton of TV work, but I pulled two movies out of there that I'm a fan of: uh, Spartacus, which I've discussed. Uh, on the show and my love for that film and then x the man with the x-ray eyes 
I just want to point out that his last credited work was an episode of Highway to Heaven, and I figure if you're going to end your career and not be an actor anymore and then pass into the hereafter, you want to be on Highway to Heaven. That just feels very appropriate. Yeah. Um, also, it almost was the name of this podcast. <laughs> that would have been a very different show. Yes. Uh, so next up, we have Fred Wayne, who plays Paul Malloy. And he w- we've recently talked about him on the episode 22 of The Twilight Zone. Um, not episode 22, but episode title 22 as the character Barney, which I believe was the uh, boyfriend who comes to visit her he was in the, the agent. Room. He was the agent of the the main character. The, had, oh, the agent. That's yeah. right. Not the boyfriend. And he kept calling yeah, her the agent kitten. that comes to visit her. Yeah, and he had the world's largest glasses. We're talking like just a, a hair under George Romero size glasses in that episode. Um, I we we didn't talk about this during twenty two. Um, I don't know why I didn't notice this. Look up something called GI Carmen, which was a like a USO type of show that they did overseas with um, actors and and drag. He was one of the main characters of this uh, show that was always supposed to go on for like three nights, and it ended up becoming like this huge hit amongst like the military. And so he ended up like touring with this show of like military men in drag, and it became like this huge hit. So he was actually known for this G.I. Carmen thing. And it's like, I don't know why I didn't find this the last time we, re- we researched him for the show, but it's like, it's a significant thing. Like you go to the Wikipedia page for the G.I. Carmen and you see him in full drag. Um, and I mean, you know, fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm just, it's it's a part of his, his career that actually was quite successful and quite popular that we didn't cover during 22. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Seems like a a thing that the army uh, would not be too into, um, but it's used as morale booster. Um, but yeah, the scene over two hundred fifty thousand military personnel and uh, countless civilians. So that's that that's really interesting. I've never heard of this thing. I mean, before. how many times can you have Steve Rogers punch Hitler? You know, you got to have a different show going on during that time, you know, so that that would have made uh, <laughs> Captain America a very different film if they had Steve Rogers come out and drag. That would have been, you, you know, I, I would have been into that. Chris Evans would have been, you know, you know, he would have been down for that. That would have been amazing having him in uh, full Captain America drag. Woman. Yeah. Punching Hitler in the face. I would have loved it. <laughs> he would have made a beautiful woman though. Um, so anyway, change of subject there before uh, I go off on Chris Evans. Uh, we got Noah Keen plays airline executive Bengston. Um, he was in one other Twilight Zone episode. Oh, and I forgot to mention about Fred Wayne. He was in two episodes of Hawaii and I. Yeah, um, there you go. But back to Noah Keen. He was in one other Twilight Zone episode that we'll talk about in the future and one episode of The Sopranos and a bunch of other stuff, but nothing I was too familiar with. I just want to mention he was in Battle for Planet of the Apes, which that wouldn't exist without Serling. Uh, and then in two yep. episodes of Cagney and Lacey, just to tie back to Telephone, because uh, you know we talked about Tyne Daly and you didn't mention Cagney and Lacey at that point. So I just wanted to mention like he was in that series as well. So there you go. <laughs> Nice. And then we have uh, Robert Carnes, who plays Robbins in this. Uh, one episode of Hawaiian Eye, and uh, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. And one episode and, of Super Train. Just want to mention that. Oh, I miss Super Train. I look for Johnny Midnight in Hawaiian Eye. <laughs> and, uh, and, and a film, it was 1948 called Roadhouse. I don't think it's the same thing that I think it is. So It, it is not. No throats <laughs> are ripped out. <laughs> Robert Carnes is not uh, ripping throats out in that film but does he just say pain don't hurt does he say that that would be you know amazing 
It's the only thing they took. They're like, we're going to remake this. <laughs> we're going to remake it's it. Not gonna, it's not going to be anything like the original, but uh, we're going to keep this line. Oddly enough, there's a bunch <laughs> of baby oil involved. And, you know, but in the words in the phrase pain don't hurt. Other than that, it's, it's a different film. Yeah. And uh, Sam Elliott's in it, <laughs> which is strange. <laughs> the same age. He was the same yeah. age in 1948's yeah, exactly. Roadhouse. <laughs> so next up, we have uh, Bing Russell plays George Cousins. Uh, which caused me a little confusion during the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it is Kurt Russell's father, which I was very excited to see him pop up in this. Uh, he was most well known for his role in Magnificent Seven. He was in one other Twilight Zone episode. He was in uh, uh, one of my favorite John Wayne films, Horse Soldiers. Um, and then he was in a he was in a bunch of movies with Kurt Russell as well. I think he was in Overboard, Tango and Cash, and possibly one or two others. He was also a lot of his, uh, Kurt Russell's like uh, younger Disney stuff, like the computer that wore tennis shoes and things <laughs> okay, like that. Okay, that's right. Um, but the big thing for Bing Russell, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delve into sports for a second, he was the owner of the Portland Mavericks, which was an independent Class A baseball team in the Northwest League, which I, that sounds like I know what I'm talking about. But it was the only, so you have like these different, uh, like minor leagues of baseball, right? And they all have, they're all like like feeder teams for the pro teams, right? The Portland Mavericks wasn't. Like they didn't, they didn't have like a major league, uh, like, you know, head. Like they were their own team. And so because of that, Bing Russell took this as a personal challenge to make a contender and be like, I don't care about farm systems. We're going to win. And he actually uh, would have like these open tryouts and like have all these like, like cast offs from like that, burned out and other things like it became this whole like weird like team that did really really well that um major league baseball didn't like because he was kind of pulling attention from their product even though he was in a smaller market with a smaller team and there is a um a documentary on netflix called the battered bastards of baseball battered 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 bastards of baseball that can't even talk right that's that's a tongue twister and it's a wonderful uh, documentary about the like the rise and fall of the of the Portland Mavericks, and um, like Kurt Russell's in it a lot because he grew up around the team. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a great documentary. And Bing just did not give a shit about what the Major League Baseball had to say, and he actually ended up challenging them um, for territorial rights and sued Major huh. League Baseball and won. Like it's it's a really it's a cool documentary. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Uh, they should have called it Bing's Battered Bastards of Baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just make give, it even harder to say. Give me something else to trip over. I don't know why I just said that. But, yeah, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool documentary. And I know uh, Kurt Russell, it, there, there's talks of making that story into, like, a feature film, which, I mean, that'd be fun. It's kind of like a grown-up version of the Bad News Bears. But yeah, it just, just have Kurt Russell play his father. That'd oh, be amazing. That, yeah, just have I Kurt mean, Russell play every role. Did, I don't care. Like have him play. Every didn't p- we just talk about Miracle on the show? I, in passing, yeah. Which Miracle? That's a great. That's another great sports film with. Uh, yeah, Kurt so Russell. that would yeah. be great. Just get Kurt Russell back. Like he showed he can do a yeah. inspirational sports film. Like that'd be fantastic. So I mean, I know you're not the most sports guy, but you should check out that that documentary, and everybody else should check it out too. It's a good. It's a good breezy like hour and a half, and. It just kind of gives a snapshot of the independent sports scene because there are there are independent leagues and independent baseball teams still out there, so yeah, I thought it's it's, it's worth watching. 
Yeah, sounds cool. And then uh, lastly, we have Jim Bowles, who plays the dispatcher in this. And he was in two episodes of Hawaiian Eye, mm-hmm. uh, one other Twilight Zone episode. And uh, the only thing I was really familiar with was uh, the ghost of Mr. Chicken with Don Knotts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then uh, there's one other person, Robert Brubaker, who was the tower operator. You see him for like a second. Not an important oh, yeah. role. Also in two episodes of Hawaiian Eye. So I just wanted to mention that. So you got all your Hawaiian Eye in this episode. So yeah, congratulations. Quite a few. Yeah. Um, if only I could watch these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> one one day. One day we're going to figure it out. It's going to be it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So that's it. That's our cast and crew. Uh, yeah. Let's just get to the Serling. Just a heads up. He, uh. He talks a lot setting this episode up, and I wonder why. I have my doubts. Let's just get to Sterling. This object, should any of you have lived underground for the better parts of your lives and never had occasion to look toward the sky, is an airplane. Its official designation, a DC-3. We offer this rather obvious comment because this particular airplane, the one you're looking at, is a freak. Now, most airplanes take off and land as per schedule. On rare occasions, they crash. But all airplanes can be counted on doing one or the other. Now, yesterday morning, this particular airplane ceased to be just a commercial carrier. As of its arrival, it became an enigma. A seven-ton puzzle made out of aluminum, steel, wire, and a few thousand other component parts, none of which add up to the right thing. In just a moment, we're going to show you the tail end of its history. We're going to give you 90% of the jigsaw pieces, and you and Mr. Sheckley here of the Federal Aviation Agency will assume the problem of putting them together, along with finding the missing pieces. This we offer as an evening's hobby, a little extracurricular diversion, which is really the national pastime in the Twilight Zone. I don't like when Rod gives us homework, like in the middle yeah. of the episode. That's, I, I, as yeah. soon as it hit like the minute mark of him talking, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this I mean, is something something we've learned uh, through yeah. the first two seasons is that as soon as he uh, starts rambling like that, it ends up just turning into uh, into bad news. <laughs> well, to be fair, the intro for the last episode two was pretty long as well. However it served the nature of that story because there wasn't much dialogue. So there was a lot of yeah. world building quickly. And this one, it's like anytime he goes, we're building a puzzle. It's like, Rod, I am sure that the picture on the box does not match the number of pieces you're giving us. Like I, I I'm pretty <laughs> sure like it is like, I, you know, I love this show. I, so far, everything, even, even the worst episode of twilight zone has been great because I get a chance to talk with you and talk to everybody else that's watched it. Right. But you're right. Like, there's just these moments where it's like he feels like he's being a little too clever for his own good. And this feels like one of those intros. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, this episode starts out you get a shot of this airplane sitting on the runway and uh, a very menacing looking airplane. <laughs> uh, there's a few shots in this that I absolutely love. And I'm not quite sure if I've seen this episode before because. Uh, I'll mention them when we get to them. Uh, this was one of them that one of these shots that looked really familiar. Um, but I'll mention the other one when we get to it. But this airplane looked creepy from the first shot. And you got the three guys standing in front of it. Um, I, I was uh, I was in on the first shot of this episode, though. Well, it also it, like seeing that like slow crane shot down on the airplane with all the, the, the guys standing around it and it's roped off. It felt very reminiscent of when the sky was opened, 
where it showed like the X twenty three or whatever the name of that that spaceship was covered in a tarp. Like it, yeah. it felt very reminiscent of that. But it's like you have this nice like so far like you could see. We talked about this last week. It's nice to actually have locations again, like in these episodes. And it felt big. There's this hangar, and it's a nice slow uh, crane drop as like they go to the plane. And it, it is very intimidating. And I, it's very, it's setting the stage for something, you know, fantastic. And um, I was on board for like the first half of this episode, and we'll we'll get to it later. But it's like the the setting of it and his and Serling's. Um, overlong narration it really makes you wonder like what's going to happen with this plane why are they not near it why is it roped off it's it's a good intro yeah like yeah so after the narration which is just a camera spin but he's not actually on set you can kind of see the cut during the camera spin but that's okay um so after the whole narration and everything you see the plane landing at the airport and uh they're going to check to see uh, who's in it and let everyone off the plane and everything. So he's knocking at the hatch and no one's answering. So finally the hatch kind of opens by itself and the other guy goes to unload the luggage. There's no luggage. So he starts yelling over to, uh, to George, uh, Bing Russell. And he's like, Hey George, uh, there's no luggage. And he comes out and he's like, yeah, there's no crew and there's no passengers. <laughs> like, there's nobody on here. So uh, immediately they're, uh, they're confused <laughs> for good reason. Well, I like that. Like, uh, Bing is like, I hope that, uh, like he's like, call the police call everybody. He's like, I really, really, really hope they let me explain, like finish my explanation before they lock me up. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I like the dude driving the tow motor that's driving by. He's like, must be a hot poker game playing. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird, uh, but yeah, but yeah, like the whole setup though, of this plane landing by itself, because you have, uh, you have George, like, you know, like, like direction, like guiding, like with his hands, this plane to, you know, make it stop. And he puts like the, the blocks around the wheels and the engines cut off. Um, and then when they open up, there's like no luggage, nobody inside. It's a very, it's, 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 it's a good hook for a what if. And I, and I was, I really, really dug that. I liked the bewilderment and, but also that whole notion of like, this is very procedural. This plane just landed and there's nobody on it. Like it, it's, it's a good setup. Yeah. So then, uh, enters Mr. Sheckley, uh, who comes from aviation control and, um, he comes in and he's got all of the employees of this airline, uh, company gathered together and he's, he's sure he's going to solve it. He says, you know, I've never had a case get past me. I have, or I've never had a case that's licked me. I think he said or something yeah. like that. Um, so he's interviewing every employee that was involved with this plane landing, which there's a lot of just old white people yelling at each other for a lot of this episode for no reason. Yeah. Like he comes in with such an attitude that just seems unprovoked that he's, he's sure that somebody's playing like a joke on him or something, or somebody's up to no good. I like but the, like that. It's called the operations room. That's where all the operations yeah. happen. And he comes yeah. in, he basically, he says like, but it's you like know, what do these people have to yeah. gain by it? Just hiding the passengers and the crew. <laughs> <laughs> right because it's like it's a huge liability this is a black eye on the airline if a plane lands with nobody on it right like that's scary yeah. um you know like because they, they heard what happened to the the flight 33 it never came back you know like what happened you know so yeah. um yeah he comes in he's basically he tells everybody like tell me what happened he's like i want facts but my job is theories and, I, and it's like it's very 
like assertive and he's basically like give me all the information i'll come up with the reasons why it happened and it's like it makes sense because that's his job but he's basically slapping them all in the face being like don't give me what you think happened just tell me what happened you know and you respect it but it is kind of a dick move yeah and he's just constantly yelling at everyone (laughs) and they're all yelling back at him it's just it's it's weird uh so they finally get to the dispatcher um and he's the guy that actually saw the plane take off in buffalo and he gives them the name of the pilots and everything he says they're good pilots but it made me laugh because after he said they're good pilots the first thing he used to describe them with was sober well (laughs) i was like well i would hope that's a given that's what i'm saying i'm going to hope that when people listen to the show they describe you and i as both of them sober reliable the best men I just really hope that's how they describe <laughs> I us. just love like that sober was the first way to describe them. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would hope that the commercial airline pilot was sober. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sober, reliable, the best men, as opposed to sober, unreliable. We don't know. It's Buffalo. Who really wants to fly there anyway or fly from there? I guess. I, don't I know. might actually change our uh, Facebook bio uh, on our <laughs> strange highways <laughs> page to that quote. <laughs> I would, I would really appreciate that. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's like, so like, there's this whole thing, like it's, it's interesting. Cause like Sheckley, as much as he's being like aggressive and kind of like putting people in their place, he's calling out like the, um, the, the blind spots in their jobs. Right. And he's like, well, like the one guy was like, I saw the pilots, like, you know, I, they, they signed off on the list, but he's like, did you see them get on the plane? He's like, well, no. And then he asked like the other person is like, did you see what happened? He's like, I was busy helping the plane land. Like he was pointing out that like, as, as much as everybody is certain that they know what happened, they don't know what happened. And I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. So he also, realizes that these names sound familiar at this point it's it's a running thing through this episode that he's like man all these names just sound really familiar um so at this point we get the pr uh man for the airline enters and uh so they spend like a good minute or so just arguing whether or not this can or can't happen (laughs) yeah and that's what I'm talking about with just people yelling at each other for no reason. Like this PR guy comes in just, just pissed off and yelling at Sheckley <laughs> just from the jump. Well, and then um, what was it? They point out like they're like, and you're going to help me because you you saw this more recent than I myself, but it's like, he's angry about it. And Sheckley's trying to put together the pieces and uh, is it, it transitions from the office immediately to the airplane, right? Or is that the, is, is this is this the argument you're talking about with um with um a PR guy like because he's there with the plane as well. Like there's a well, smash it, cut. It keeps happening. Okay. The arguments keep happening. But so somebody comes up with an explanation, like maybe everyone jumped out with parachutes yes. and that the the crew was actually hiding in the bathroom when they checked uh, when they checked the plane after it landed and they snuck out after they had checked the plane. Um, but that's when I think it's George talks about, yeah, they're outside back in the hangar now. And George is talking about the fact that he's scared to be around the plane and that the blue seats inside of it just seem to be staring at him. Mm -hmm. And there's a shot when they go into the plane and there's empty seats and everything. It's this like shadowy cabin. That was the other shot that really, it, it popped in my mind that I may have seen this episode before, but uh, really cool stuff. So the, to back up just a second, I I, they, I watched this like twice because it's what I do. 
I didn't realize that the moment you go from the office because they're debating about what happened, it cuts to them in the like by the plane, and the one guy's like, "Well, maybe all of them had parachutes," and they're all like talking, right? Yeah. There is almost four minutes where the camera doesn't cut in this episode. There's there's a four minute segment of the, like this episode's like what maybe twenty four minutes. So there's a, a significant yeah. portion in the middle here where the camera doesn't cut, and it pushes into those discussions by the plane with two people and pulls out and has Sheckley kind of talking to everybody and then him walking around the plane. Like as much as I'm going to end up saying what I feel about this episode later, it took a second viewing to realize like how awesome some of the camera work in this episode actually is and it's it's really it's like that sequence in the middle like there's a bit where bingston um he i don't know if you caught this there's a couple times where i feel like he tripped over his line delivery the actor that played him like there's a couple times where he stammered and i don't think that was part of the character but i feel like because it's a four minute take you just roll with it like there is but it is a it's very effective because you have like two to three different groups of people debating about what's going on with this plane and the camera's moving it in and out from them. And it's a continuous shot. They didn't have to do it that way, but it, it's really awesome. Yeah. It's, it, it's just too bad that it's just like four people screaming at each other. <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. no, it, it is cool how they do it and everything. And, uh, by doing that, you're slowing the pace of this episode down and, uh, I think that's a good thing in this because there is a slow build from the moment that this plane lands up until a certain point that we're about to get to. Yeah. And it, it gradually amps up the tension throughout it. So I, I think by having the long cuts like that in there, you're keeping that tension just slowly building throughout. Yeah, no, I, I agree because it's like it, you just see, you see Shackley putting it together like, I mean, even though <laughs> how many pieces does he have? We don't know, but he's kind yeah. of like, it, but it's like, you have uh, Malloy and you have Bingston and you have these other guys kind of debating about it. And then, you know, it's like, it's just, it's a nice, it feels like a lived in moment of like what people would be doing, having this conversation where you would interact with other people around you and not just having cut, 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 cut. Like it's a good, it, it's like, again, like I, I know I'm a sucker for like good camera work and like well thought out pacing, and yeah. it's it it was a refreshing moment because we've seen this in earlier Twilight Zone and they've been limited sometimes by budget and execution to not have these moments. And it was nice to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. So during that conversation, though, he brings up a few points like the fact that they hadn't received any inquiries to where the passengers on this plane were. Yeah, like the families like, are asking questions. Yeah, like the families and everything asking like, you know, this plane was supposed to land eight hours ago or something like where is where is my loved one you know um and they realize like yeah so i guess we haven't that is weird and uh he gives them a manifest the passenger manifest and again the names look really familiar with them so he goes inside and that's when we get the shadowy cabin i guess i jumped it forward a little bit and uh, he comes out and he talks about the he asked the one guy george like didn't you say something about blue seats and so he realizes that everyone that has entered the plane has saw a different color on those seats. Yeah, to me they look gray. I don't know about you, but they look gray. Yeah, they they were uh, <laughs> they were a light gray to me, but uh, yeah, but yeah, like one of them saw them as red. Saw that someone saw them as like faded red or a brown. 
and yeah. then and then there comes the whole like they go look at the tail number on the plane, which I I really appreciate what they're going for, but it's pretty obvious what happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just they just took uh, just stuck uh, stickers over the the plane yeah. number, just like and now it's a different one. Yeah, so um, so each of the people there were seeing a different tail number, and they called yeah. it out, and that was again like I'm all in. Up to this point, I'm like, what is going on? This is weird. You know, like I really, really was really excited for what the resolution was going to be. And then Sheckley kind of, he kind of torpedoes it, you know, a little bit, you know, but he has this theory that he believes that. that he comes th- to real quick at this point. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm like, whatever. I would, that, that would have not been my first thought, you know, but he, <laughs> he, uh, like, cause think about it. If everybody's seeing this, a different, different, like perception, like different colors of the seats and different tail numbers then, but they all agree there's a play in there. I was really, really, really hoping that this thing was kind of out of reality and kind of out of time. You know, I was I, just hoping it was like the dress that was going around the internet where some people see gold <laughs> and uh, white, some people see blue. <laughs> this is flight flight Yanny and this is flight Laurel. That's what was yeah. going on. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't have jumped where he jumped uh, no. initially. <laughs> yeah. So he, his whole theory is that even if I thought about it, I'm sorry to cut yeah, you please, off again. No, like even if I thought this, uh, I wouldn't come out and say it immediately <laughs> <laughs> to a whole group of uh, professionals. Yeah. <laughs> so basically it was like, well, what if this has been like a suggestion, like a mental suggestion put in our heads? Yeah, like a yeah. mass, uh, what does he say? Like a mass hypnosis or something. Yeah. And basically he's trying, he, he brings up the idea that we all know what a DC 10 is, but we've all like realized it in a different, different reality, like different mindset. So that's why we're seeing different yeah, things. So somebody said this plane is here. So we all, for some reason, believe this, but in our heads, we're imagining this plane a little bit different. Yeah. It's a DC three. Yeah. Sorry, not DC 10, but yeah, there, there's reason I'll bring that up later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everybody's thinking of it differently, right? So his theory is that this is a mass like suggestion and that the plane isn't here at all. And I'm like, like as much as I'm all about, like, I get that this is short form storytelling and you got to kind of stretch like your belief in what's going on. Like, I could believe that there was a Martian hiding in a diner, like just whatever. Right. I can yeah. believe, I can believe that there's a car that forces you to tell the truth as bad as that episode was. This is a really, really, really big leap. And it's fine if the payoff is there, you know? Yeah. And, it's, and I feel like I'm front selling this a little bit, but it's like, I was like, what's going on with this? So Sheckley, then that plays the quote from the beginning of the episode. I really did not know what to pull audio because everything was kind of all over the place in the first half of this. Yeah, um, he tells because no, yeah. it's a bunch of people yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, bing. All right, so uh, it, like they basically he tells um, the one guy he's like, you know, he tells everybody he's like, I don't think this plane's real. I think it's imaginary, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to have somebody climb into the imaginary plane and start the engines up on the imaginary plane and have the props spinning on the imaginary plane. And if I'm wrong, tell my wife that that's what happened. Really? That's you're going to stake your professional claim that you know like I feel like if you're a family man and you're married and you have a future maybe there's other ways to prove your theory. That's just yeah. my thought. That's that's just a thought. Why don't you like throw some luggage into it or something? <laughs> like just <laughs> like a stick. A stick would also help. I don't know. Like push ball. somebody else into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Bingston can't get his lines right to shove them into the prop. It's fine. Um so 
his whole thing is like start the engines up, climb into this imaginary plane, and I'm going to reach out with my hand and touch the prop as it's spinning. And that, yeah. that this goes back to my earlier statement about I feel really, 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 really bad that Boris Sagal, 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 whatever his name is, directed this episode knowing what happened in his life later. So you have a yeah. character reaching his hand out to a, a, an airplane prop. And at that time, maybe, maybe you know what? Now that I realize maybe Boris was like, this is all imaginary. This this helicopter I flew in is <laughs> oh, not no. real. Maybe, he couldn't get this episode out of his head. Yeah, maybe maybe this helicopter's not real. This rear prop is not a real thing. I'm gonna walk towards it and prove everybody wrong. Call my wife in case I am incorrect. Oh, uh, we're sorry. Uh <laughs> estate of Boris Seagal. <laughs> so so like Sheckley's reaching his hand out and I was I was really uncomfortable. Aside from the knowledge yeah, of what I, would happen to the director, it was a really effective moment. Yeah, and say what you will about the uh, the quick assumption that he makes about this, and uh, but yeah, this this is really stressful, and like this is the height. You know, I talked about the slow build of this episode. Um, coming to this point, like I was loving it. Like it yeah. was it was fantastic. Absolutely. like the moment because they really let it linger. It's not a quick thing. Like it's it's got to be at least thirty seconds of him reaching out <laughs> to the propeller. Yeah. Um, and it's very stressful and it's like, you know, and like, but I had that moment of uh, before it got to where it was going. I'm like, this is, this is 1961. They're not going to show a Doogie's hand cut off from a prop. <laughs> like, you know, they're not going to have, yeah. they're not going to have like, you know, like a quick cutaway of people reacting of him being like, and then certainly coming out and being like, well, Sheckley was wrong. That plane was real and it killed him. <laughs> like, you know, like what? Hey, but credit to the episode that I was on the edge of my seat for yes. it though. Yes. You know, like obviously they're not going to do that and you come to your senses <laughs> after a certain amount of time. But like, I was I was all in on this. I was worried for him. Like a lesson so, credit on safety. To this episode. <laughs> like I would love it if if this turns out it was actually sponsored by like the FAA of people to not stick their hands in planes. I would love it if Shirley came out and be like a lesson brought to you from the Twilight Zone that as as much as uh, things happen here that shouldn't, you shouldn't stick your hand in an airplane prop. Good night. Like it would be like. <laughs> This is brought to you by the FAA and Oasis Cigarettes. Like that would be like that would be the way this episode should have ended. But he reaches his hand out and then um all of a sudden the plane disappears, right? And then the other guys that are around him because he's trying to like he 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 proved his point this plane was imaginary. And he looks over at all the other guys in the hangar and then they slowly disappear. And yeah, then he's like, like one by one, they yeah. start disappearing around him. I just really wish the pilot would have been in the, like in the plane and the plane would have disappeared. He would have just fell to the ground. That would have been <laughs> like, like, that would have been amazing. Um, uh, yeah. That would have been so goofy, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. So after everyone disappears though, you got Sheckley running around in the, on the, uh, airfield, just like screaming for people yeah. just running almost aimlessly. And, uh, it's kind of funny in his oversized suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause there's also some really good shadows as well. Like there's, oh, actually, yeah, it, yeah. it looks great, but yeah. for some reason, his aimless running and his oversized suit just made me kind of laughter. And scene. him yelling, like, what kind of gag is this? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, it's like, you're the one trying to prove this airplane wasn't real. And then all of a sudden people start disappearing around you. I think this is proof of concept and you didn't realize how far in you were. Like you didn't realize how right you were, Mr. Sheckley. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he ends up back in Bankson's uh, office and he doesn't remember anything in there. 
And so again, he uh, asks him if he's drunk or sick. So that's a second reference to somebody either being sober or drunk. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, um, and then, um, uh, was it Malloy is yeah. on the couch reading a newspaper. Right. And, and basically, uh, Bingston recognizes, uh, Sheckley as being an investigator of, of flights and tragedies. Right. And, but at the same time, um, like Sheckley is trying to say, well, flight from Buffalo, you know, like this happened, right? And everyone's like, "What are you talking about?" And like, there's nobody on it. He's like, "What are you talking about?" And 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 Malloy's reading a newspaper that specifically mentions a flight from Buffalo that has a celebrity on it. And it, I don't care if it's 1962. I don't think a flight from Buffalo is front page news, no matter what year it is. I don't. I just it's just call me crazy. I don't think it's that important, but it happens to be the main story of the newspaper that day. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Th- the movie star was uh, Penny Jackson, which uh, <laughs> there, I, I mean, tried to look yeah. up to see if there was a Penny Jackson, but I couldn't really uh, I couldn't find anyone of. No, there are some Penny Jacksons, but uh, nobody. So, um, yeah, so it says, you know, it arrived on schedule and everything. So he brings it up and Bingston remembers that. Is it am I saying that guy's name right? It's Bingston. I feel like a, it's Bingston. Bingston. Yeah. See, I, I keep thinking I'm combining Bing Russell and uh, <laughs> what if it was Bing Bingston? Like you would just be gone like that. You can't even say it like it would be great. It'd be like, Bing yeah, Bingston. So, but yeah. at that point, Bingston remembers that there was a flight 107 like 17 or 18 years ago that ended up getting lost in the fog and they could never find it. And um, he was the lead investigator on it. Sheckley. Yeah. So. He he kind of panics and he's like, I've never been licked on a case yet. And he just kind of leaves talking to himself just beside himself that this case was never solved. And you get him running around looking for that lost plane and asking, like, why didn't you leave a clue and everything? And uh, he kneels down in the hangar and that's it. Yeah, I mean, but again, the shadows and him just kind of distraught showing his brain is kind of broken yeah, like he's never gotten over this symbolism you know yeah. that he's kind of stuck alone in his brain with this whole situation uh for all these years it's yeah. it's nice it's nice but yeah it wasn't the ending that i was necessarily looking for in this episode i agree like i i just if if you would have told me it's someone feeling like a, a guilt and remorse over not figuring out the case that got away and they framed it a little differently. Like my, the biggest problem with me with this is he was creating a case that he couldn't solve basically. Right. Because it's like, it, it's an imperfect situation and he's trying to give himself, like he comes in with confidence. Like I've never been licked by a case. I can figure this out and he can't figure it out. That's all well and good. And Serling introducing him at the beginning when he walks up to the plane, that's all well and good. How as watching this as a, as a viewer, the first part of this episode doesn't make sense because you have characters unrelated to him entering this plane with nobody in it, you know? And I feel like there's so much of the other world happening before he shows up that I can't buy into because even though his brain's kind of made up the scenario, we're seeing things that he's not actually witness to. And I think that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it, it does build up nicely in the first half. It just it feels like it just kind of fizzles after you get to the revelation of what's actually going on. Um, it wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. It just it, like once you get to like what's going on, it's like it's not 
it's not that much different than King Nine. It's it's not no. that much different than the King Nine will not return, where you and, have and the one guy surviving. It's easy to make the comparison with the planes and everything, yeah. but it's it's definitely it sits in that same kind of like oh, did it or didn't it happen? But Serling kind of he puts a pin on what actually happened in it because they're like he says like you know this is a guy that ended up going crazy because because he couldn't solve a case you know but then he's like or maybe it didn't <laughs> but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like King Nine at least with the with the sand at the end coming out of his shoe <laughs> like at at least as a realistic. Like, oh, maybe it was a real thing. Whether or not that made sense, like, at least there was something within the story and not just in the narration that gave you any doubt to yeah. what was going on. So now you'll find this funny. Uh, Buzz Kulik was originally intended to direct this episode. So I don't know why he didn't, but he was the one that directed King Nine Will Not Return. And I just feel like he just loves planes and he just couldn't get to this one. I don't know why he couldn't direct this episode. Um, I, I don't know. I just feel like this is one of those ones that's like, it's a near miss, but it's not there. There's some good ideas here. There's some good atmosphere. Like there's a good hook, but there's just, it doesn't, and I hate to use this kind of terminology. It doesn't stick the landing. It just does not like, and, I, and it's, it's, it's a terrible joke, but it's not what I mean. It's just like it, the first time I watched this, like, I'm like, like I said, halfway through, I'm so in with what's yeah. about to happen. And then it goes nowhere. You know, yeah, like it, it ends with him just like on his knees screaming and you're like, Oh yeah, that was it. Like yeah. that's, that's what we got for a twist. And that's what we got for an ending. Like, Oh, all right. I guess that's yeah. fine. <coughs> um. But yeah, it's just, it doesn't, uh, there, there's a lot of good texture and atmosphere here. And it just doesn't pay off. And it's unfortunate because I feel like the actor of playing Shackley, I feel like he does a good job with what he has. Like, he cut, like I said, he comes in confident and then over the course of the episode that gets eroded and he, you know, and, and you realize that it's like, it's just him trying to make himself feel better about the one thing he could never, ever figure out. And, yeah. and, and I'm not saying he, that's he does not, get pretty sweaty too. He does get sweaty. So, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's fair. Which is selling his panic at the end. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I mean, that's panic equals, sorry, sweat equals panic. You know, that's, we, we know that. Um, <laughs> so even if, if this was like a short story that you read, I think it would, would read better than what we saw as a show, you know? And it just, I just, it, it had the potential and you could see that Sterling, you know, was kicking around some ideas in his head and it just, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm glad that at least it had, it had the location and the plane and a little bit more like just actual location shooting. Cause if had this been, it, 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 um, the, the budget shows, I just wish the story was there as well. That's all. Yeah. 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 I I just I wonder if I have seen this before and maybe it's just because the second half tanks so bad that I just kind of forgot about it. And just those those couple good images like the plane at the beginning and the the shadowy cabin and everything. Maybe those stuck in my head for a reason because they're the best part of this episode. Yeah. So um, with Sterling saying that planes do one of two things, either they land or they crash like he's he's not he's not correct. And here, like, this is something I get to do. <laughs> Here's something I get to bring up. Like I, it's been a while since I've been able to bring in a lot of things that tie into the episode. Cause I feel like some of the things we've seen are a little amorphous. It's hard to bring in like a, uh, something that happened in real life other than chicken in a can. That's a real thing. Um, oh, can we not bring that up ever again? <laughs> that thing has been haunting me for a week now. <laughs> oh, 
I don't know. You prefer chicken on a biscuit. I think we should do chicken on a can. I think we need to do that side by side and oh. see how that goes as a meal. Anyway. Um, do not bring chicken in the can <laughs> into my house. <laughs> um, listeners, if you would like to see Kevin and I try chicken in a can, I will definitely order one and we will definitely try to eat it at some point. That would be amazing. Yeah, th- there might be an opportunity for you to see that in the near future. So. I, I would totally, as much as I think it's disgusting as well, and I'd probably, like, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to see me gag and vomit, like, on camera. It could happen, but I definitely want us to try chicken in a can. That'd be, be great. Anyway, so the DC-3, which the, the, the plane in the episode... Um, in 1957, uh, which is only what four years before this episode, a DC three ran out of gas over Missouri. Everybody bailed out and made it to the ground safely. The DC three glided over the horizon and made a perfect unassisted landing in a cornfield. So this actually <laughs> happened. When, when was that? 57. Oh, okay. Well, I wonder if he heard that story and that's how he came up with this. Maybe. And and so there's actually a webpage and it's like, it looks like old internet. Like it, it was never updated and it's titled the DC three flies itself. There are like six or seven instances in which the DC three, I guess it was kind of like, it's a favorite plane by people who love planes because for whatever reason, the way it was designed and built, it could just kind of take a licking and kind of keep on moving and, and still function. And it, you know how like there's a certain there's certain vehicle types that you hear stories about like well they made it out because of this the DC three is this kind of one of those planes that's always right place right time and like fantastic things happen. Uh, huh. Well, yeah. like I said, it, having his brother knowing so much about aviation and everything, he had to have known about this plane making these landings by itself. Yeah. Like he had to have heard some of these stories when he came up with this. There's just, there's too much around the Serling family with, uh, with planes for him not to have heard that. So uh, I'll just give you some, uh, some teases of other things that happened here with the DC three. Um, as I, as I, uh, cough myself to death here, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that was uh, gross. Uh, cause I was thinking of chicken in a can. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, it says, while it is rare for a plane to land without a pilot, it is equally unusual to have monkeys assisting in a landing. Uh, it says, in 59, John Stevens was flying a plane load of monkeys from Pakistan to Morocco. I don't even know the context. That's amazing. Uh, he ran into a storm and several crates broke loose, giving the monkeys the run of the airplane. The pilot, <laughs> concentrating on his flying, did not notice the carnival going on behind him. When the monkeys evaded the cockpit, it was too late for him to do anything. <laughs> Buttons, switches, and levers were all fair game for the playful primates. I like who's writing this. Oh, Stevens yeah, is- never admitted the monkeys helped land the plane, but he said he'd rather fly through a monsoon than a cockpit full of monkeys again. Like- <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. Oh, I want to see that episode of the twilight zone. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and then there's uh, a, another, instance. maybe, maybe on, uh, the Shatner episode, the, the, uh, terror, oh, whatever thousand ter- feet. Yeah. yeah terror at 20,000 feet or whatever it is. Maybe it wasn't a, uh, monster on the wing or anything. It maybe it was just a monkey that got out of the crate. <laughs> so in 1985, so like the, the DC three was still in use, like in the eighties, uh, a South African Air Force Dakota, I guess that's the DC-3, made a rough landing on a, like a bush airstrip. Uh, so like, you know, in the middle of like, you know, nowhere. It swerved in a tree and tore off about three feet of one wing. The mechanic on board responsible for the aircraft simply trimmed the rough edges, bound the end with masking tape, and the plane took off and carried the rest of its mi- carried on with the rest of its mission. Like, oh this, like this thing is pretty amazing. Like I... 
you know, the DC-3, good on you that you could land by itself without a problem. Monkeys could assist you. You could miss party for your wing. I, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel you like... Can, the, you yeah. can duct tape your wing back on and fly home. <laughs> like, I love this plane. Yeah. I, I hope the air show has one of these. I'm gonna I'm gonna school everyone around me and be like, yeah, the DC three guys. <laughs> well, and there's even another situation which was actually two years before this episode where uh, some people were uh, doing maintenance on one of these planes and they pulled a when they when they were expecting the wing, they found a bolt that was cracked. They changed the bolt and then sent the bolt to the engineers. And they traced the maintenance history of this particular plane and found that the bolt was actually broken on the original factory like build of this plane. And they said that it actually had a theoretical life of 16,000 hours and it actually accumulated 64,000 hours before it actually broke. So I'm sorry, it didn't break from the production, but it actually broke like, and still functioned. The engineer's comment back to the airline was a simple congratulations. This thing served like, like four times what it was intended to do being like in a broke like is like this thing. The DC threes are pretty great plane, you know. And I think that's uh funny that there's all this anecdotal stories of the how durable this design was. So there you go. I, I think yeah. that was pretty cool. So uh, so the dude that said uh, everyone parachute out was probably correct. If maybe this, if this ended up not being uh, something in Checkley's mind. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess this has happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I like I don't I don't know if Rod's brother knew about the plane landing because I mean it, that seems like such a local small story because nothing bad happened and I don't know the speed or pace of the news at the time. So there is the possibility yeah, just, that Rod did not know this actually like happened. Such a coincidence that he would have picked this plane that has all of these crazy stories surrounding it. Yeah. You know, it just seems like it seems like too good of a coincidence, but I don't I don't know. I guess we'll never know, but <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So. All right. So now we know that the DC three is magic and it does survive things and it survives uh, monkey onslaughts and broken bolts. Um, I, I guess I, I don't have anything else. I mean, OK, one other thing. So at the time when season three came out, like like this, the series Obviously, you know, we're, we're getting to, we're really close to the midpoint of the series, even though the Twilight Zone didn't know that we're, we're, we're fast approaching it, but it was on people's radars. Like people were, uh, excited for the new season variety wrote at the time of this episode, the show now seems to be feeding off itself last Friday's episode and they're referencing to, unless it proves to be an exception in the new scheme doesn't auger. Well, like that's a $10 word for the future of the series. Yeah. Twilight Zone seems to be running drive inspiration. And I can see how, just from you and I talking about this, how it feels like it's hearkening back to earlier stuff. And I guess people were just kind of waiting for Twilight Zone to like show them something different. So the initial reaction to the first couple episodes wasn't the strongest because even though even though I feel like they looked better, people were expecting, you know, it to go different places that it had before. As much as we love two, uh Serling is like, well, even though it wasn't written by him he has talked about kind of like, you know, humanity and the end of the world. And this one is very much hearkening back to some other themes he's had previously. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I, I think two felt very different though. Like I, I think that one uh, looking back on the series has, has had a better life after the show has ended than it did probably when it came out. No, I agree. Um, uh, Cause I, I feel like that one, Although it does speak to, like you said, some themes that he's explored in the past, 
um, it, it the tone of that episode felt very different than anything we had seen before. Uh, this one, though, not so much. This feels like it could have popped up in season one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like it, this just feels like it could be stuck anywhere within the series, and it would have felt like just something that Serling was passing by just to fill an episode, you know. But yeah, um, it, it's not terrible though. Like I, I enjoyed this one. It's again a quick watch for all of these episodes. So even ones that don't necessarily stick, um, there's always some fun to be had, and. Like we said, the first half of this is so good that it makes up for a lot of the problems that we had during the end of this. That's fair. So, all right, let's um, just because it's the show and what we do, let's just try to figure out what the twist is. I am going to give us a three uh, because it turned out to be in his head, which that didn't surprise me, but I like the idea that ultimately he gave himself a puzzle he couldn't solve. Even though Serling was like, I'll give you enough pieces. No, you didn't. You did not give us enough pizzas. Pizzas? Pieces. Pizzas. (laughs) He didn't give us those pizzas. He didn't give us those pieces to figure out the episode, right? But I like the idea that Sheckley is so racked by guilt over 20 years after this thing that he's still trying to make it make sense in his head. And maybe maybe that's not what you take when you watch it initially, but the, the thought of it lingers it's it's pretty it's pretty dark that he just hasn't gotten past the one that got away and i i kind of appreciate that yeah i i was half listening to you because i was just trying to imagine what kind of pizza was rod serling's favorite <laughs> And I, I'm just going to say, like, just plain white pizza with no sauce. <laughs> like, he's like, I feel like a cigarette and white pizza would be Sir Link's like, go-to on a Friday night. It's like he's just tired of twists and everything he does. I just want a plain pizza. I don't want anything fancy. Nothing surprising me. I Not like even that. just like a cheese pizza, just like a white pizza. <laughs> just oil, cheese, and uh, bread. Yes. You know? um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm just going to go middle of the road because... There are a few different things that are kind of twists. Uh, None of them really floor you. Um, You can kind of see them coming. But I, I enjoyed the fact of the plane disappearing or the, the whole thing with the plane disappearing with him reaching out. I thought that was exciting. Um, Yeah. Like you said, him just making up this whole scenario in his mind. um, I, I think it was good enough. It yeah. just it, nothing was really that great with it, so I'm just gonna go middle of the road. I think it's serviceable. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it, it it doesn't feel like a like a twist. You know, it's just kind of an unraveling for the last ten minutes of the episode. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, that's gonna do it for us for the arrival. Um, I, Kevin, how can people find us? Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are available, we are there. Uh, and it would really help us out if, if you would rate and review us. And then we have a new place that you can find us. Um, nothing's up there yet, but we have some big plans for the upcoming weeks. Um, uh, we are on YouTube now. We have a YouTube page. Um, we're looking for a date sometime in July. We're going to do our first live episode. Um, we're going to be talking about some... Uh, radio dramas from the 40s so um, keep an eye on the facebook page and go subscribe to the itunes page and you can keep an eye on it and you'll get some notifications whenever we go live on there yeah Um, absolutely 
It'll be fun. Yeah, so I'm looking forward. A little bit of bonus content every once in a while. It's not going to be a regular thing, but uh, uh, it's just it's just something fun to do, just to tie into the Twilight Zone every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. And also, if you guys want to hear uh, Kevin and I talk more about other things that are the Twilight Zone, we we have a. Uh, uh, we have something coming up this weekend as well. Uh, the, we're gonna we're gonna reunite with our friend El Goro, who was just on the last episode of, Twi- of of Strange Highways. We're gonna be on his show, uh, Talk Without Rhythm, and we're not gonna be talking about Twilight Zone. We're gonna be talking about westerns, which is uh, you know it's it's in Kevin's wheelhouse, and I've watched some westerns because he gave them to me, and it's this whole thing, and it's gonna be a lot of fun, and I I cannot wait to talk about uh, some Lee Van Cleef. Uh, and some ridiculousness there. So uh, keep keep an eye out for that. That should be coming up this weekend. Yeah, we're going to be covering Day of Anger and Sabata, which uh, I'm a big fan of both of those films. So it, it'll be it'll be exciting to sit down with you guys and talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, next week for the Twilight Zone, we're going to be watching uh, The Shelter. Uh, and I did so well last week reading this, so hopefully I'll do good this time describing the episode. Uh, this is Serling's words, not my own, so your mileage may vary. Um, next week on The Twilight Zone, we use a camera like an x-ray and look under the skin of a neighborhood of men and women. It's a little experiment in human nature and behavior on the night that a Conrad broadcast shatters their composure with an announcement of terse terror. A bomb is coming. Most of our stories are a little far out. This one is very close in. You'll see what I mean next week when we present The Shelter. Ah, that two for two. There. Look at that. Very nice. Oh, Look at that. I'm getting there. Took us till season three for you to master it. Yeah, it's, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for me to follow my keys and butcher it and then talk about pizzas instead of pieces. So it's going to happen. <laughs> so, so yeah, next week, The Shelter. I don't know if you've seen this episode or not. Um, I um, I have just because I was uh, trying to do a little bit of prep work in advance. There's going to be a lot of interesting things to talk about for this. I cannot wait to get to it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen this one uh, again years ago, but uh, it'll be exciting to revisit it. Yeah. So, so. all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, the shelter and um, have a safe week and don't go sticking your hands in plane props. I think that doesn't need to be said, but if you had that thought, probably don't do it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to go eat some pizza because for some strange reason, I am starving now. So we'll talk to you guys next week. this guy how could they have taken that picture how could they say it landed and everything when when what you know this guy